Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Unleash Love. My name is Clemo Young, and I'm your host. I'm joined today by a mysterious, anonymous, beautiful, incredible woman who is taking a chance coming on here and talking about her non-monogamous marriage. She's been together with her husband for over a decade now and uh, swears by, at least for her and her partner, a non-monogamous setup, which obviously is quite a taboo subject. So talking about this, I learned so much and it really gives you a good idea of how kind of polyamory and open relationships can work as long as the two people involved who are the core are aligned and trust each other and are open to try new things. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was one of the most interesting ones I think to date and I'm excited for you to hear it. If you do like it, please do leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcast platform. Every single one we get helps us to reach more listeners. So thank you in advance and let's dive right in. A little bit about you. So you said you're in Chicago. Um, have you lived? Was that where you're born? Is that where you lived your whole life? No, um, I was born up in Wisconsin, and I moved to Chicago about 12 years ago now. Uh, and between the ages of 17 and I think I moved here when I was like almost 30, um, I traveled and lived all over the United States and a little bit of time in the Caribbean islands. And yeah, I, I love Chicago. It's a good fit for me. When you say you lived all over the U.S., um, was it a, many places? It was. Well, I, I did the nomadic thing for a bit. So I, I when I first graduated high school, I, I gave away everything I owned and <laughs> carried what I could in a backpack. And I hitchhiked and I hopped freight trains and traveled all around the country. Um, and then I wow. took a little time to live in New Orleans and I lived in California for a stint. I lived in New York City and Brooklyn for a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, Chicago. <laughs> so you, out, out of all of the places that you've lived and all of the travels that you've done, um, would you say that that really helped shape you as a person that you are today? Doing yeah, that. absolutely. Right. Like all of our experiences shape us. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I travel, I learn more about who I am, you know, so I'm kind of uncovering myself everywhere I go, the people I meet, the experiences that I have, I'm learning more about me and what it means to be a human. Um, and um, I've always said this, but I feel like if we were given somehow more of an opportunity to go and do that uh, as we're developing, you know, before we really get stuck into like a career or um, a f like a long-term relationship and, you know, have a family, I feel like if we were somehow allowed or given more resources to do that, it would change the world completely. Mm. It would really dramatically change the world. And I'm just having a wet dream here, right? Because <laughs> this is never going to happen. Yeah. This is not going to be a government funded scheme uh, by any means. But I mean, I can, I can imagine how liberating that must have felt. And it wasn't, I mean, when, how, how old were you when you started doing that? I was 17. I left home at 15. Right. Uh, and then I graduated school. Wow. And yeah, graduated early and, 
I, I hit the road. <laughs> so tell me a bit about your, uh, your childhood, if you, if you can. Um, I'm interested. What was that like for you? Did you, are you, are your family still, are your parents still together? Do you have any siblings? I do. I have three brothers. Um, my parents are not together. Um, they divorced when I was 10. And, uh, yeah, I had a, a very, I had a sort of idyllic childhood, I feel, from birth until I was about 10. Um, idyllic in the sense that we grew up in the country. Uh, I was a major tomboy. My brothers and I played army and had all this territory. We grew up um, uh, in nature. You know, it was a very, like, um, kind of rural area at the time. It's pretty developed nowadays. But uh, back then, it was just quite nature rich. And we had um, all the forests all kind of mapped out with territory and um, made forts in the woods and went sledding in the winter. And um, when I was 10 and my father left, uh, then began a bit more of a traumatic childhood experience. Um, just sort of coincidentally, um, I also um, experienced sexual assaults and um, my mother was pretty significantly depressed trying to find her way with four children and no education. And um, my father uh, ended up marrying his secretary, sort of a like storybook, you know, cheating kind of scenario. And um, yeah, uh, by the time I was 15, um, I had developed a pretty significant like anxiety, you know, disorder. Um, and being home was really difficult for me uh, because the environment was very triggering for me. And so at that age, I knew I needed mm -hmm. to leave. Um, I had run away a few times before then and the police were called on me and I was brought home. And, um, this time when I was 15, I just very seriously asked my mother to let me go, um, because I knew what I needed to heal myself. Um, and I needed to face my fears and I needed to find a different environment. And so she said, you have my permission, but not my blessing. Don't ever ask me for anything. Those were her parting words. Um, and I left oh. and I made it. Uh, and found my way. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get an apartment because I didn't have a parent to co-sign my lease. And so I ended up in the housing cooperative system, um, which was, you know, sort of a surrogate family to me. I met a lot of really beautiful people with a lot of beautiful values in that community. And it was a real game changer. Um, and my mother and I were able to reunite and bond more deeply than ever. And she's my best friend uh, now and has been for many years. Mm -hmm. But um, that's kind of the, the story in a nutshell. Wow. That's really amazing. It's amazing that you came full circle and somehow were able to like rebuild, rebuild that relationship. It wasn't her fault. Completely, it you know? She was going through her own thing. She's a human being. She had a lot on her plate. She was in her thirties with four kids and no degree, no education, no job. You know, she was a stay at home mom. She was an artist. And I have a lot of empathy for what she survived through emotionally, you know, but at that time I really had to take care of myself because it had become very dire. So, yeah. And my brothers, um, two of my three brothers are, are also, um, we're very close. And the third, um, unfortunately, uh, in the past couple of years, actually, there's been a big falling out because, um, I adopted his daughter, my niece, um, and there was a bit of a legal uh, situation there that we had to uh, go through to protect her um, from some stuff that she was enduring. And so 
Um, that's kind of a new development, but for a different podcast, I believe. <laughs> so, is that your child uh, now, or do you have more than one? So, child? I have one biological son. Um, he's five, and then we adopted right. my niece, who actually identifies um, as non-binary and goes by the pronouns they and them. Uh, and so they, um, are actually, when we adopted them, they were 16 and they just turned 18. Uh, so we are in the process of preparing for a move to college, <laughs> which is exciting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, obviously I want to talk about that, but that seems to be a different podcast. 100%. For sure. <laughs> but I mean, good for you for doing that because that's very kind of you and very, heartwarming as well I mean it's not it's not easy to make that decision I guess maybe it is easy to make that decision but it's not it's a lot of responsibility basically so you know it is but we have to look out for the people we love in this life you know what else is more important than that really yes yes I agree with you I agree with you which is why I suppose from one perspective you could see it as an easy choice um but yeah we, we an need easy more choice but a difficult task right Yes, yes, yes. Kind of paradoxical a little mm -hmm. bit, traditionally spe uh, speaking. But, um, well, I mean, yeah, uh, it's. It, I can see how that whole process of you going through the abuse, going through the anxiety, and needing to get some space and time uh, led you down that path and helped you to meet those people. What were those people like? I'm, I'm curious. How, what kind of people did you meet? And um, do you still see them? Do you still speak to them today? Yeah, a number of them I do. Uh, one of them became my absolute best friend. She was my maid of honor, and she's the one that I traveled with when we were 17. Um, and that whole trip actually started around the fireplace. We were sort of daydreaming together at this housing co-op um, about, you know, it being our campfire. And we just sort of carried on with this daydream. Like, imagine if we just jumped off a train and, you know, la, 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 la. And then about three to four months later, we, we decided to, to make it happen. Um, but the people I met in these, in these co-ops, the ones that I landed in, thankfully, um, were based around, you know, some shared values concerning environmentalism and activism and sustainability. And I think that, uh, that community in general, like, you, you know, people who, who care about things beyond themselves, you know, there tends to be a common thread, um, of empathy and compassion. And so, um, it was a co-ed, uh, cooperative. The first one I, I was in in high school um, had 30 people. So I, I had 30 roommates, all ages, men and women. And we had shared meals in our shared kitchen um, and shared dining room space. And we each had our own bedrooms and each floor had a bathroom um, that everyone shared that lived on that floor. And I lived there for a couple of years and then um, traveled. And when I actually, I, I eventually came back to uh, Wisconsin to start college uh, when I was 26. So I, I traveled until then and then came back to, to start school. And then I moved into another co-op um, at that time because I just actually really enjoyed the community. Um, so there's a really nice co-op system in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I haven't found anything similar in Chicago. And at one point I was looking before we ended up um, landing where we did, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a thing. Community is seems to be a well. It's on the top of my mind recently with all of the division that's going on. It makes you question, you know, when you see things on the news, um, such 
uh, bipolarism in politics and society. Mm-hmm. It makes you question traditional structures a lot, you know. Um, it makes you question the direction we're heading in as a, as a race. And uh, brings up some important questions, brings up some important conversations, uh, thoughts. I mean, it's hard to talk about those things because everyone's so sensitive about it. But those are the kinds of conversations I think we need to be having. When it comes to community, it feels to me like, based on what you're saying, you very, very highly regard community in your life. And it's been instrumental to you. What do you feel community is today compared to what it was maybe a couple of generations ago? Because I feel like there's been definitely some some evolution and de-evolution. <laughs> it seems to me like we're somehow more connected than ever, but less as well at the same time, paradoxically. Yeah, you know, I think I'm somebody who uh, adapts well, and I embrace platforms such as you know these, um, and I don't, I don't find um, that I am as uncomfortable as some people with connecting virtually um, with people. I'm not sure why people have so much pushback to it. It's just another method. Um, it's the evolution uh, through technology, you know, of, of more ways to connect and to make it convenient and to make it more um, international in nature, which I love, I think, from traveling so much. And, and when I traveled, it was pre-cell phones, you know. And so when I was out there on the road and even traveling with a friend, if we separated for two weeks, we had to plan to meet somewhere because there was no way to keep in touch with each other, you know. And so we would say in two weeks on Friday, meet me at the fish market in Seattle, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it was just so fun, so organic. Um, and uh, I, I remember when the internet really first started to evolve and I was able to connect with people on these social media platforms and see these faces in the Caribbean islands and, and New York City and all these places that I really didn't know when I would get back to them. You know, and I, I was never I was never um, stationary enough to have a phone number. And so it was really difficult for me to stay in touch. And so I love I love social media and I've never fallen out of love with it because I'm able to multitask, staying in contact with all of these beautiful human beings that I care about. And even if it is, you know, a little surface level at times, it's something, you know, it's something. And I like watching people's children grow up. I like seeing people go through things in life. I like reading what people choose to share, you know, um, I think it's, it's really enriching personally. And yes, I mean, you're 100% right. I hold community in super high regard. I think um, in America anyways, you know, there is an individualistic mindset um, that is, uh, you know, perpetuated through our media um, and culture. And it's sad, but I've always been more deeply embedded in the subculture here. And so for me, the community stays strong. And I have a lot of sort of extended family and brothers and sisters and people that, you know, I, I swap I love yous with before we get off the phone. And, um, you know, people who I, I gather with for different purposes, whether it's, um, you know, to celebrate the full moon or to talk business or, you know, to collaborate with uh, creatively, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think it is what we make it, you know? Mm, yes. Yes, definitely. And you bring up some really good points. I think 
there is a negative sentiment growing towards socializing online, but for good reasons, obviously. I and mean, we're both aware of those, right? I mean, it can be very dangerous to uh, get all your information from social platforms, especially if you're subscribed to content and people that produce content that isn't necessarily uh, productive and helpful and kind of brings out the worst in you because it reinforces the idea that perhaps you're not enough. I'm talking about things like, you know, the perfect life, um, being a billionaire, being an entrepreneur, being, a, I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things, you know, but I think, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of confusion about, well, what's important in life. Uh, and, and I, and I, and I can see how, I can see how this is incredibly damaging, you know, the ability to kind of just subscribe to anything, anywhere, anytime, um, and just feed yourself constantly for the generations today who are going to have to develop with this or are developing with this. And there's no study on it yet. There's no real comprehensive long-term study because it hasn't even happened yet. So we're all just sitting on the edge of our seats waiting to find out what actually happens yeah. in the end. But on the other hand, the points that you brought up are totally legitimate that it is a blessing to be able to connect with people in an instant. And, you know, we're talking about the, we're talking about the good relationships, the good connections, the ones that are productive and valuable and help you grow as an individual. And I remember when you brought up the fact that it was pre-internet when you were traveling. So you had to remember phone numbers. I'm 37. So I'm totally in I'm yeah. with you on that one. Right. I remember that. I loved it. I actually loved it. I, I have nostalgia. I pro <laughs> probably would drive me insane today. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember forgetting phone numbers that I kind of, you know, of women that I would meet in the club when I was younger <laughs> and I would be like, yeah, ah, why did I, yes. you know, um, I, and, you know, having long distance phone calls with people that I'd met on vacation Did you have a and pager? it was just so expensive. Did you Sorry? have a pager? A beeper? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had a pager <laughs> that dropped in the, in the toilet. No. I dropped it in the toilet. No. Yeah. That was the end of my pager. <laughs> oh. oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, the, you know, those are the days, but honestly, what you're saying is it's so, it's so true and it's so interesting. And I guess it brings to light the need for um, accountability, I guess, to, you know, the way that you're using social media, because, um, you know, I remember taking a psychology class back in college and there was this little exercise that we did um, around the lessons of comparison. Right. And, you know, it was this person that was homeless and they were looking to their right um, and there was a person living in a box and they didn't have a box. Right. Um, and so they felt that they were lacking. Uh, and then they looked to their left and there was a person who had passed away because they froze to death, you know, whatever it is. And then you go to the person in the box, they look to their left, that person doesn't have a box. So they feel really fortunate because they do have a box. Right. But then they look to the right and this person has a small house. So now they feel they're lacking. Right. Mm -hmm. And it goes on and on and on always in whatever direction you're kind of comparing yourself. And I think there's a fine line between aspirational and like depressing in a sense. Right. And so with my, my personal social media consumption, I, I think that I do a decent job keeping it pretty focused on connecting with people. I actually know, um, especially, you know, on, on Facebook and these things, I don't accept friend requests from people. I don't know. I don't spend time on there arguing about politics 
Um, I spend time in there just connecting with loved ones, period, you know, making people laugh, um, sharing that type of content. And um, I'm, I've been involved enough in activism and politics, I guess, to feel a clear conscience about that. You know, I think some people feel they have to do something and that's sort of their way of doing something. Um, but I don't feel the need to do anything on social media when it comes to, you know, my political views and, and values. Um, and then, you know, on Instagram, I'll, I'll really like, I have my accounts kind of divided. I've got my private space. That's, that's private where I do family posting and I make photo albums from that account. And then I've got my business stuff. And then I connect purely sort of with other, you know, creatives and photographers and people in that industry, um, in that way. But, um, I can see that I can see that it's cool though. And it's, it's actually, um, encouraging to see my teenage niece navigate this environment, you know, this sort of social media environment, because I think that their generation is actually kind of bringing it full circle. You know, they even use email to communicate because they feel it's more, more safe. Um, and so, oh, really? yeah, for sure. So yeah. there's an awareness there that I, I was, I didn't know cause I'm 41. Um, but learning through them and they're 18, uh, I actually feel encouraged because I think they're very smart and they were born with this technology in their hands, you know, so they've been able to master it in a way that our generation has not. So. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get away from email, but you know. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's just a anxiety. Really? <laughs> anxiety. And, well, I, I think it depends what emails you're getting. I mean, if the emails are kind of, uh, work-related then yeah it can be anxiety inducing for sure uh, but if it's you know if it's just whatever I, I i think email when you when you communicate with email it's a lot more productive mm -hmm. than communicating on uh on instant messenger on instant messenger you lose the 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 pace of the conversation mm -hmm. you can get lost you find yourself like oh god i could have just said all that <laughs> in like one email. yeah for sure <laughs> but uh it, it is what it is, and I think it's it's only going to become even more pervasive. But anyway, I mean, um, it's nice to know what you think about social. It's nice to know what you think about community today. Um, I wanted to ask you, when did you uh, meet your current, uh, your husband, right? You're married. Yes, we're married. Yeah. When did you meet? I met my husband. Your husband. Yeah. Let me think. I think we met 13 years ago and we've been together for 12. Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. And where, where, <laughs> where did you, where did you guys meet and how? So funny story. Um, I had just moved to Chicago and I was managing a bar as my first job here. Um, I, within a couple of months, um, told off the owner because he was terrible. Um, and I quit that job and I didn't know anyone here and I didn't have any other job lined up and I was putting myself through college and I stressed and I didn't know what to do. And I had to do something fast to make ends meet. And one of my bartenders from that bar said, um, I can get you a job bartending at the other bar I work in, but I don't think that you'll like it you know, I can get you this job. You're not going to like it, but you know, I could get you in there tonight. And I said, I'll take anything. Have you seen the movie Coyote Ugly? Uh-huh. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. And wow. so I was asked to dance on the bar and to wear a certain outfit. And I was horrified, but desperate for the money. <laughs> I did it. 
Um, and I prayed that no one I knew would walk through the door before I found another job. Right. And so, um, I worked there for two weeks, but on my first night, um, all the, the security guards and people were kind of, you know, like shooting their shot, the new girl in town. Um, and my now husband was, um, one of the men that approached me at the bar and he was more respectful than the others. And, he kind of just sat down and he said, I see stars, you know, when he was looking at me and I gave him the fingers crossed kind of no go, you know, like get it back up, buddy, you know, kind of thing. And he did back up and he left completely. And then I felt bad because he was actually really handsome and very respectful. And so I was just not in any mood, you know, at that time I had actually just left a pretty abusive relationship and um, was just really not looking to date um, at all. And um, which is another reason I was a little disoriented. I moved to Chicago actually for, um, a boyfriend at that time. And so I had just left him and quit this job and I was just very disoriented. Mm. And so, um, I asked the other girls that I was working with, you know, who that was. And I felt bad for, you know, being a little standoffish and they told me who he was and that he was, um, a total sweetheart and that he worked actually next door. He didn't even work in the bar. And, um, so I approached him a few days later, apologizing and gave him my number and <laughs> asked if we could maybe connect sometime. And, um, so then kicked off a little friends with benefit fund for about a year, um, which then led to us, um, being roommates and then falling in love. And there's sort of this whole evolution, but we dated for four years before, um, he proposed and we were engaged and then we got married eight years ago. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, it's just funny that I didn't I didn't want to see anyone I knew in this bar. And I did only end up working there for two weeks and I met my husband, right? <laughs> the irony. I guess so. Yeah. You're trying so hard not to be noticed, but uh you found the one person you're gonna spend the rest of your life with in there. And it's very it's nice, it's because you know, you went back and you and because of that, you're now with your husband. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Imagine if you hadn't. I mean, you wouldn't know, so you wouldn't probably think twice about it. But <laughs> now that you know, you're like, sure. oh, my God, that was a, like a pivotal yeah. moment for me, and I made the right choice. Um, yes. Yeah. There's a lot of times in life when you kind of – I think our instincts are really powerful. I don't know. I, there's something special about your instinct, and we don't pay enough attention to it usually. I don't. Um, I, I – write answers on Quora every day just because of our business um, in the relationship section. And most of the questions that are asked could be solved by just simply listening to your instinct. Um, but we've kind of disconnected ourselves from that. So good for you. Good for you. Um, I think you, you obviously benefited a lot from that decision. Uh, so now comes the, the 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 topic of discussion. So, uh, how did it begin? The the whole uh, you know kind of uh, having a non monogamous marriage because that's what this conversation is about, right? Um, yeah. How did that conversation start? Was there a build up to it, or was it like a sudden thing? There was definitely a build up. Um, when I first. Like I said, we were we were sort of friends with benefits for that first year of our relationship, our friendship. And during that time, we both had other people that we were seeing. And my husband was always someone who I refer to him sometimes as passive, which he hates. 
Um, but truly like that is the energy that, that I felt then and that I feel now, um, uh, you know, in certain contexts, but it, it has taken on new meaning now, you know, but at that time it meant that I initiated everything. Um, and so I could, I could do that, um, because I had other lovers, I had other people that were, um, initiating things with me. And so I was able to sort of transfer that energy. Everything felt very balanced. And I liked these sort of gentle and calm energy that my husband carried himself with. Um, and he looks like a tough guy, you know, um, but he has a very gentle and nurturing nature. Um, and so, you know, that, that was very appealing at that time. Again, coming out of a pretty abusive relationship, it was even more appealing. Um, and, uh, and so I felt a lot of comfort with him, but after we had been monogamously with one another for, uh, three, four years, um, I started to feel myself craving to feel desired, uh, in a way that he wasn't accomplishing because of his passivity. Um, I would beg him, um, you know, to compliment me. I would beg him to initiate sexual interactions. Um, and he just, he just, it just wasn't who he was, you know, he wasn't, um, that guy. We were probably three years in when we hired our first like couples counselor or like sex therapist. We've done both. Um, and several of them were pretty worthless because my husband and I actually were always very good together. Um, like on a life level, we've always had a really beautiful friendship. We communicate very well. We're very affectionate with each other, but it was starting to become an issue of like erotic energy, um, just lacking for me. Um, and I remember one time, you know, this, this, one of our, our sex therapists asked, you know, why he changed, you know, why, why the change? Why, you know, why this or that? And I said, you know, to be fair, he has not changed. It's me flipping the script because I was always willing to be the initiator. Um, and I'm, I'm growing tired of it. And so to be fair, he's actually very consistent. Um, but I'm realizing that it's leaving me wanting more and it's, it's making me feel insecure even, you know, and I'm just longing to feel sexy and longing to feel desired. Um, and so it was a very slow build. Like I said, we went through a number of therapists, a couple of people didn't even know what to do with us because they wanted to see where we were having communication problems. And they just couldn't figure that out because that wasn't the issue. Um, one of our, our therapists, when we were about four years, um, in together, uh, like this is probably the third guy that we tried. He recommended reading the book mating in captivity um, by Esther Perel. And that book was the book that was kind of my pivotal moment in understanding my own psyche and what was happening for me in this relationship. Um, she poses the argument that uh, this traditional view by couples counselors of, you know, um, sexual incompatibility or issues arising from communication problems, you know, that this just isn't the case and that it's sort of the reverse that the couples that get along the best um, and have the, the easiest, most flowing communication oftentimes lack that erotic energy mm. uh, because, you know, for better or worse, it seems to be um, human nature um, that there is a sort of erotic tone to emotions with negative connotations like jealousy and anger and insecurity and instability. And um, we we didn't have any of that because we're very, very stable and, and good together. Right. It's a very uh, kind of, like you say, very kind of peaceful, passive, calm, tranquil, which you, which when you say that, you wouldn't associate that with kind of fierce sexual energy, right? That, right. That's, 
it's kind of like what we're saying here. And that, and that's interesting because I've never thought about it that way. So the fact that you brought that up, thank you. That's very helpful for me. Yeah. It helps me understand, you know, some of the relationships that I've had too. I have, and this was something that, uh, you know, the one of the men in the clubhouse uh, room we were in the other day was talking about. I'm not sure if you were present, but he was talking about this. And he's got a lot of experience with this because it's his industry. So he was talking about how... Um, He's the kind of person that if he could choose between having um, a relationship with someone who is just c- clicking 100% and everything's great and it's fun and it's uh, just something you know great to talk about, something to look forward to, as opposed to a relationship where you're with someone who's like pretty crazy and unstable, mm-hmm. but the sex is like the best. Yep. He's the kind of person that would say, I'll, I'll take the one with the best, the best sex any day. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this um, conversation. Yeah. And it, it, it depends what kind of a person you are and where you are in life. I think, you know, I remember something you said in that conversation too, which was people just don't understand when they judge you for, you know, being in a non-monogamous relationship what it might actually be like to have to go through that much time not being able to express yourself or receive um, the kind of sexual communication that you desire. Um, and I don't know what that's like because that's a long, I mean, that's a long time. I, I don't think I've, uh, I've been in relationships where the sex just died out and that was like five years here, five years there. Um, but I haven't been in a, a, like a much longer relationship. And I think I'm the kind of person because, and whether or not this is something you subscribe to, I'm the kind of person whose love language is physical touch first and foremost, beyond anything else. Totally. And so physical touch for me and sex and intimacy, uh, is so important that it, it literally kills relationships if I don't mm-hmm. have that connection with someone. So um, the, the counselors, the therapy sessions and everything, you read the book, what did, what were your thoughts? How did that change you? And did you start, when did you start to have the kind of thoughts? Okay. We have to talk about this in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it helped me to not judge myself so much because I felt the itch to cheat. That's where I was. And he's a good person. And I have cheated before on other people. And with him, I loved him too much. And that was the first for me, you know, to be in that situation where because I did not want to lose him, it was worth trying to traverse this conversation, right? Um, The book helped me understand my psyche. It goes into these different case studies with no judgment about, you know, even how cheating has saved marriages for some people, you know, and it's just a really provocative view at different, you know, just different scenarios, um, again, with no judgment and like going deep into uh, sexuality and these long-term relationships. Um, And yeah, so at that point, I I guess it kind of opened my, my mind a bit to know that 
well, plus I have a background in like branding and design. And I think that that helps me believe in like recreating identities and recreating things, you know? Um, and so I feel like it it did sort of have a hand, um, in my thinking. Cause I just, I realized like there are no rules here that we have to subscribe to. We are not particularly religious people. Um, and so, you know, I think that I, I have friends that as a sort of spiritual practice, you know, practice monogamy, um, and that's beautiful for them. For us, we don't we don't live our lives, uh, you know, with any sort of religious foundation of that sort. And so, for us, there there are really no rules. And I'm like, you know, why not see if this is something that we can negotiate? And so, um, I first brought it up to him um, because, okay, so so back up while we were in sex therapy, it had gotten to the point where, you know, one, one sex therapist asked him, um, why don't you initiate? And he said, because she always beats me to it. And this little switch went off in my brain. And I said, I said, I'm to myself. I said, I will not initiate. I will give him as much time and space as he needs. I will completely and totally give him that space. And we'll see, we'll see how this goes. And it went six months And at the end of those six months, I was so angry and so resentful. And I was literally watching the days and weeks, you know, I was, I was watching a calendar, you know, to see how long it would take. And then I'm in a yoga class, I'm in Shavasana. And I said, you know what, this is insane. I will fuck my husband tonight. I am not going to um, let more time pass. And so I sent him a message before I got home and I asked him to shower up and be ready. And he was thrilled, you know, and so I got home and I rocked his world, but I was really resentful, really, really resentful. Yeah. Okay. Can, can I ask what, is it just the person he is? I mean, yes, I'm trying to understand it. Yes. Right. And it's wild because he's so sexual. He's actually incredibly sexy and he's actually really good in bed and there's no performance issues. If I say the word sex, He's rock hard and ready to go. It truly is like, you know, for example, you know, he's, he, this is sort of a, I guess like a parallel um, comparison. So, so I'm an entrepreneur and I am like to my core, a go-getter, right? Um, I don't, I, I was not a good fit working for other people and, and kind of being on their clock, like to the minute, but I will bust my ass and work 80 hours a week for myself happily. Right. Um, my husband at one point, I, I was sort of fantasizing about this life on the road and us, you know, road schooling our kid and traveling the world. And um, I wanted him to get into a career that offered him a lot more um, flexibility and, and opportunity for movement and, you know, to work remotely. And um, so we looked into a few different things. He ended up being really drawn to real estate. And so we were sort of exploring that. Um and at the end of the day, like he just, he just was not somebody who was good at driving himself, to be honest. I mean, he's an artist and he is good at that. He's very good at that, but it's a very introverted sort of thing, you know, but when it came to selling or dealing with other people, it just is like, he freezes. So it was just not his comfort zone. And so um, I finally accepted that and realized that he's somebody who really thrives in and loves Um, you know, if it's not painting, he likes to work for someone where he's given a a task and he's told what his schedule is and he knows when his paycheck comes and that for him feels best, you know? Um, And again, now that we're 12 years in together, all of this has taken on a much more positive meaning for me. 
But at that time, I really resisted it. And I really didn't understand it because I was used to being with more entrepreneurial minded people. I was used to, you know, being a bit more free and nomadic. And I really like fought against his very like docile nature for a while, you know? Um, Even though it was something that kind of you were drawn to as well because yeah. of the experiences that you'd had. And sure. Yes. Right. But it lost its mm-hmm. novelty. You know, it was beautiful for the first couple of years. And then I got bored with it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, unfortunate, but true. I'm just wondering now, I'm I'm thinking, uh, you know, because we're talking about sexual energies here and masculine and feminine, right? Mm -hmm. And men have uh, servings of both and women have servings of both. And it really, a a good relationship is when you can balance them, you know, so they're not, you're not too heavily towards masculine or too heavily towards feminine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like, you know, this is valuable information for people. These kinds of conversations help bring to light that the things that they're uh, maybe at odds with in their relationship are perfect the way they are if you just change your frame of mind because the chances are that you got together because of that very reason, like you're Absolutely. talking about now. And and you you know, yeah, even though, you know, you need a little bit of fire now and again, or a little bit of tranquility now and again, it's, uh, it's understandable. It's understandable why it's not in their blood. I mean, that's just the way that they developed. That's the person they became. Absolutely. So I'd be willing to bet that. I would be willing to bet that there's, and this is why we're having this conversation. There's a lot more to relationships than what is, I would say constrained within them from a traditional mindset and the traditional mindset is, you know, monogamy. And I want to start talking about how you guys came to the conclusion that trying a non-monogamous relationship was a legitimate way forward. Mm -hmm. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, after that six month stint, we went right back into it because, you know, I got it out of my system. I reconnected with him and then I wanted to give him time again to try initiating. And we went another six months. And at that point, my resentment was so thick and I was looking at him in a way that felt so unsexy that I kind of lost my own interest to initiate. And I felt my own sexuality sort of waning. And Mm -hmm. I sat with that for about a year um, and I let it go. And we did not have sex for a year. We had, again, like day-to-day, a great relationship. We were affectionate with each other even. We would cuddle on the couch. We would kiss each other. We would hold hands. You know, it was a really loving relationship. Um, It just would never uh, move into that more erotic territory. And so um, at the end of that year, I said, you know what, this is crazy. Uh, I mean, I I literally felt like my body was was becoming numb, you know, and um, we actually were about to have our, our son, Um, who I did not carry. He's my biological son, but he was carried by another woman. Um, I have uh, damage to my uterus from a childhood surgery. And so, but I I have ovaries. And so I was able to do an egg extraction and and have my, my son with my husband. But again, he was baked by another woman. And so he was in utero um, and growing. And at that time, there was just something so big and so real about what we were doing together that I think it gave me courage to be honest 
about the fact that I was not wanting to give up on my sexuality. And, um, and so I, I one day had this conversation with him and our son was probably, you know, um, the surrogate was probably like five months pregnant at this time. And we just sat in the car outside of a grocery store. And I, I told him how I was feeling and that I was, I had sort of this cheating, you know, kind of temptation that was coming into my mind. And, um, I wanted to be honest with him about it because our friendship matters most to me. And, um, I love him and I don't want to deceive him and, and do wrong by him. Um, but we, we need to talk about, like you said, like our path forward. And, um, I mentioned that at this time, and I had in all honesty, been a very possessive person, um, leading up to this, you know, I was the woman who was looking at the bathroom mat for hair that wasn't mine when we were dating, you know? (laughs) And so I'm by no means, you know, just some natural born, um, you know, non-monogamist. Uh, I definitely, I was much more jealous and much more possessive even than my husband. Um, but at this time, you know, I had really like settled into this relationship that we had established and it made me feel very safe and it made me feel very secure. And I knew I didn't want to lose him. And I also wanted to be honest with myself. And so I just kind of laid it out. And I said, you know, for the first time ever, I'm actually feeling like I could possibly get into having an open relationship with you, whether that's a swinging or like, maybe I don't know what that looks like, but I feel like we need to open up to other people sparking sexual energy for us because I'm resenting having to be the one and you are just not being the one. And so maybe someone else can do it. So then it takes it off my shoulders and you don't have to do it. And then let's just see like what that feels like. And um, as always, you know, my husband was very like respectful and listened and then said that it was not something he was interested in at that time, but he thanked me for my honesty. And, um, that's where that landed. And I said, okay, well, I am still in this, you know, and I'm still, I'm still here. I'm still with you, but I want you to know that this is like where my, my mind is going. And I guess we'll just check back in, um, you know, in a while. And so we let it go for an entire year. No, 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 no. No. And so we went without having sex, by the way, that whole year. So we, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's so, so interesting. I mean, there's so many layers to this, actually. It's, uh, it's very wild, but we did not. So after that conversation, we just literally did not have sex again. We just kind of like chugged along. We have our, our friendship, our relationship, our son ends up being born. And after our son was born, something must've clicked for him. Uh, our son was probably about six months old and I was in the throes. I had actually induced lactation so that I could breastfeed our son, even though I didn't carry him. And I was like really, really sleep deprived and just in it, you know? And I think something just clicked for my husband and maybe for him, you know, that made him feel a level of security that made um, him feel a little safer opening up to the possibilities too. And he randomly came um, to me one day and he said, I've been thinking about our conversation. I didn't even know what he was talking about. I said, what conversation? He said, um, the one about an open relationship. I said, oh, okay. I mean, that was a year ago at this point, right? And he says, I think I think I can handle it. I said, you think you can handle it? And I was very excited, but I, I said, well, what does it look like to you, you know, in your mind? How does this play out? And he said, well, to be honest, I don't feel the desire um, to pursue other women, but I respect and understand that you're an adventurous person and you were adventurous before I met you. 
Um, and I want you to be happy. And, um, so I feel like I, I'm willing to try, you know, you being with other people. And I was like, oh my gosh. And of course that was terrifying because it was one-sided, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And so I said, well, wait a second. I said, so you're talking about like being home with our newborn baby while I'm like out sleeping with other men. And he's like, well, when you put it like that, it's a little bit harsh, but <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> I suppose, yes, that's what I'm saying. And I, I just thought, wow. And, and that wasn't what I was asking for. Um, at that time, I actually was really afraid of us doing it without each other. I, I much more so had in my mind a kind of swinging, you know, like, like maybe threesome or, or, you know, a couple swapping sort of something to spark it. Yeah. 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 Something to spark it with each other. And so in my mind, yes. it was always with each other and he took it to this far extreme in his mind and was willing to go there, you know? And I was like, Oh my goodness. So I'll let you kind of guide the conversation from there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Um, I want to say something, if anyone's listening, who is already thinking, you know, Oh my God, how could she do that? It's, uh, to me, it's all a question of respect, trust, dignity, honesty. I mean, if you're not going to be able to be in a relationship where you can be those things, what's the point of being in a relationship? We have um, this stereotype of what it means to be committed. And for the large part, it's a good one. I think it works for... Um, you know, at least rearing children. If you are 100% committed to someone, no matter what, and that's the marriage vows, right? Um, then the children stand the best chance of having a good childhood and uh, having the support and the structure that they need to be able to develop properly. And I see that that is something even we're struggling with that, right? So, to me, the marriage concept has kind of bounced around from being awful to good to I would never do that to actually I see the point and I think it's a good good thing. And I just want to say, let's say when you do something selfish in a relationship, it doesn't even have to be sexual, you're you're really not, you're not playing that game. You're not part of a committed relationship necessarily. You're not compromising. You're not uh, finding a way to, to move forward together. And the fact that you went through those years, because they are years of just no sexual activity, um, the fact that you had all those conversations, the fact that you had those therapy sessions, it really says a lot about you and your motives. And your motives are pure. And I can see that. And I think it's, it's, it's remarkable. I think it's also remarkable that people would still, after having said all of that, look at the situation and say, it's wrong, right? I get it. I get it. We're all conditioned to a certain degree. So I get it. There, there are people totally. that would think, no, no matter what, it doesn't matter what you've said, what you've been through, what you've done. It's not right. Don't do it. But listen to the conversation again, because you'll see that there is a process here where you're trying to communicate what's valuable to you, what's important mm -hmm. to you as a person, as a human being, and you can't live your life in denial of those things. The least you can do is bring it up. And you did. 
and it seems to have worked out. And I take my hat off to you because that is difficult to do. It's very difficult for you. It's difficult for your partner. It's difficult, you know, and, and this is one of the reasons why we're having an anonymous conversation here because it's difficult to share that. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I just wanted to make that point. Um, and, uh, even more surprising to me was the, you know, that he was willing to do that without, you know, you know, you'd think, oh, he's a guy, he's going to be totally fine with doing, you know, doing it himself as well. I mean, right. It's, it's usually, I, I mean, I would say probably usually, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, a male initiated kind of request perhaps. Um, so for him to be open to that and not partake in it is, uh, is really impressive from, from my perspective. Um, and it says a lot about the kind of partner you have, the kind of husband you have to be able to have that relationship. So, um, I'm, I'm just blown away and, I, and I'm learning a lot from this conversation, you know, about, and we can talk about this in a moment. I, I would like to know what you think about love. I would like to know what you think about um, commune, like relationships, intimate relationships and what they mean to you. What's the objective? Uh, because you, you have an evolved sense of that. You have a structure, you have children and you're raising them together, but you're being inter individual too. You're, you're not losing yourselves in that relationship. Um, and that's amazing stuff. So I'd like to know, what does a relationship mean to you? And how do you see love now that you've started doing these things? Well, first of all, I'm just in awe of the way that you articulate things. You are an excellent uh, podcast speaker and interviewer. You are, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that I agreed to do this with you because I've been asked to do it with a, a number of people in my, again, that intuition is always right thing. You know, something just made me feel very comfortable with you. And um, you're amazing. And I, um, I'm happy that your voice is out here for people to hear and um, engage with. So um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what is love to me? Um, I think that this, this relationship for me, it defines like what love is to me. I think that love is honesty first and foremost, and um, at any cost, you know, I think that people have been, people have been living individualistically when it comes to sex forever, which is why so many marriages fail. And cheating is such a mainstay in media. You know, it's, it's not even blinked at, you know, um, but then people gawk at ethical non-monogamy um, if ever, you know, expressed in whatever a TV series or whatever it is. I think it's, we're, we're at a transitional time right now when, you know, it is starting to come out of the shadows um, and be made more honest. And to be honest with you, I, my personal opinion is that that is actually a woman led kind of movement. Um, I know far more women who are trying to take this out of the shadows to do what has been done for centuries, you know, but do it more honestly and do it with more regard and more consideration for the people that we love. Right. Um, and so in my experience, maybe, maybe this is, uh, this is not true, but um, at least in my little, my little bubble, you know, I see more women, um, that are kind of leading the way here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, um, relationships for me, 
uh, again, because of my personal values around community and people, they're the most important thing to me. Um, I think that life is magical and bizarre and mysterious and um, there's no greater thing than to connect with other life in this world, you know, and I think it's the greatest gift that we can give someone our time, our future, our plans, our day to day existence, you know, and if you find someone that you do that well with, um, for me, I, I just, it, I finally hit the epiphany that, you know, sexual incompatibility or sexual disconnection um, at times, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, uh, the apocalypse, right? It's, it can be seen um, in a sort of manageable kind of um, viewpoint or whatever. And so, um, you know, I, I, I definitely was not somebody who was super traditional in my thinking growing up. I didn't fantasize about a wedding. Um, I, I didn't know if I'd ever get married. And really, frankly, it was irrelevant to me. Uh, you know, partnership, was something I craved. I knew I wanted to be a mom and I knew that I wanted to do that in a way that felt safe and secure and healthy, you know, whatever that looked like. Um, and so, but my husband was a, a bit more traditional. And so when we were dating for him before we had family, I knew that marriage was important to him. Um, and so because of that, it became important to me uh, because it was him that I was in love with. Right. But um so even in our wedding vows, you know, we actually did not exchange that we are together through better and worse um, and that this was a forever thing, no matter what. Uh, we exchanged vows that we were always free and that being together uh, needed to remain an active choice daily and one that we were um, committed to because it's what felt best for us. Um, and I think that that's really what serves us as the foundation for living in gratitude with one another daily. Um, and what has given us this feeling, I think that if my husband felt pressured to open our relationship because he had made this vow to support me, you know, or whatever it was, I think that that would have been um, very uncomfortable for him. Um, but because he knows that I truly stand by my word that like, I, I want him to be happy, but I also will be honest with myself and we just need to figure out what this looks like, even if that means that we split, no matter how deep into marriage we are, you know, every, every, again, every day, every week that we choose to stay in this, you know, it's because it's where we want to be. Um, and so, yeah, I think, and also we, we are not drinkers, we're not drug users. And so I, I can imagine that when you bring substances into this sort of dynamic, it can create more unpredictability and I would struggle with that. But knowing that I can trust my partner and that he can trust me to make all decisions out of a clear mind, you know, then we can hold each other accountable, um, and we can trust, uh, each other. So, um, I know I didn't answer all the questions you asked. I don't actually remember exactly what they were. <laughs> I know there was, there was a, a few. Um, so when you mentioned the, the drugs and the, I mean, I, I didn't take drugs, but I did drink a lot. I was an alcoholic for a while. So was my um, husband. Oh, mm -hmm. really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. I mean, I am not an introvert. I am not very extroverted. So I'm kind of a little bit to the right of center, if you know what I mean, towards extroversion. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I drank a lot and, uh, in my relationships, the ones that weren't very healthy and, uh, and it was my way of coping with the stress and the guilt of 
just careering into something that I knew was bad for me, but I wanted to do it anyway because it felt good at the time. Um, and I've had an experience with non-monogamous relationships. It's not anything like yours. It wasn't as uh, uh, anywhere near as eloquent or let's say, you know, uh, fueled by a prolonged lack of sexual activity. It was more like a kind of a kink. Absolutely. And it was, uh, it was unfortunately, well, you know, okay. You can look at it from a, a number of different perspectives. I think it was a great lesson. And I think perhaps my partner at the time also learned something from that too. And it, and it was also terrible because it was traumatic for her for 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 me to become almost addicted to that mindset that free love you know it's we're we're free we should love freely i mean there's nothing wrong with that right it was it was a very strange experience because i think even though i wanted it to be fueled from a place of love i think it was fueled from a place of obsession mm. uh, and lack i had a huge lack of self-esteem. I was trying to fill that by, you know, kind of proving to myself that I could do these things that were exciting and fun and required other people's consent. So um, that's uh, another podcast episode, but it's, uh, it, it's funny, you know, I have met people who have tried to do similar things and failed. I think most people that I've met who've tried to do this have failed. And you probably have better thoughts about it than I do as to what indicates whether you're going to have more success or not. But I would say it looks like if you're not already healthy in the mind and if you're not already at least dedicated to each other, because commitment, you know, you could put it in a different league. You could say, okay, that's marriage. But if you're not at least dedicated to each other's growth and your growth together, I, I, I feel like this is probably, you know, going to be a very dangerous experiment. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that being married kind of gave you a support framework and some kind of safety belt for this? I think it did for my husband. Um Again, being a little less traditional, my commitment isn't um, dictated by recognition, you know, of others, um, including the government. And so um, I know what I have in this man. I have enough reference. You know, he's a king. He's amazing. He's an incredible partner, an incredible father, an incredible uncle, an incredible friend, you know, um, and thankfully because I've, I've dated plenty of people and I've, I've ran the course and I've traveled the world and, you know, I've never lost perspective of who he is. Um, and that has always served as my guiding light, uh, the whole time and still does. Mm, yes. Understood. I, I, and, and like, you know, it's a, so, so if it works for him, it works for you. It, it's something that it wouldn't be able to happen without it. Maybe, you know, um, compromise. It's like, okay, how are we going to get through this together? Compromise is something, it's in a deficit now. We don't compromise with each other. We're very selfish, I think, as a culture. Agreed. So again, coming back to the whole kind of, I'm just trying to, in my head, I'm trying to understand like, 
why is it working for you? Why doesn't it work for other people? Why is it such a taboo thing? I think it's such a taboo thing because people are so selfish, maybe to a certain degree. Yeah, I think you are spot on. I really think you are spot on. Um, and to be honest with you, there can be selfishness and honesty. Like I'm kind of revisiting this whole like love is honesty answer that I gave, right? There can be there can be selfishness and honesty. And so that was another thing that we had to sort of flesh out in our rules, you know, was like, how honest are we agreeing to be? And do we want to be? And do we want each other to be? Because there are some things that may be better suited just remaining your own business. If I'm giving you permission and you are honoring our boundaries and you are being righteous in your choices, then, you know, do I need to know every single little thing for you to clear your conscience and feel you're just being honest with me? No, not necessarily, you know? And so our rules are very nuanced. Um, and I think that it is the fact that, um, you know, we are both, we are both very thoughtful people, I think. Um, and, you know, even going back to, you know, Hey, I feel like cheating. I do. I'm, I'm being honest about that. I do but I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, stay in this with you for now. And then we'll revisit. And if I'm still feeling this itch and you're still not open to opening things up a bit, then let's, let's talk about how this looks with us are going our separate ways, you know, and honoring ourselves and each other and this friendship and, you know, figuring it out from there. Um, but it required a lot of patience and there was like a good year and a half, you know, where I really was like, man, I was just, I was, I was craving so much more um, than I was receiving. And, you know, we just, we kept talking, we kept, kept talking, <laughs> so much talking. Mm -hmm. um, but it has really like, it, it has allowed my husband's emotional intelligence to shine in a way that actually brought about a, a whole new appreciation for him, for me. Because even though I was the one sort of pushing the boundaries and the one that first exercised the permissions, um, he was the one that helped me learn to navigate it less clumsily because in the beginning I, I did lie about who I was with, um, when I first met someone because he asked me not to tell him unless he asked me, well, then if you're not asking, I don't want to force the information on you. And so now I don't know what to say because I'm meeting this person for brunch. And so I just said, I was meeting a girlfriend thinking I'm being respectful of his boundaries and then he discovers that I actually was at brunch with this man and confronts me lovingly. But he says, no, like, of course, don't outwardly lie to me about who you're with. He said, you don't really need to even tell me who you're with. You can just say you're going to brunch. And if I want to know with who I will ask, you know, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, I was very like, I was really clumsy about some things in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, even though, yeah, he was the one, um, you know, playing it a bit more docile once again you know with with what he was uh being given permission to do he was still very much so like the teacher ironically yes uh it's a learning curve i think uh, there's no there's not really a book on is there a book on this has anyone written anything about this yet do you know there are <laughs> yeah there are um there's a book called opening up that i've recommended to people and my husband and i also use the book as a sort of text like a reference um, book. And it just, it helps you understand all the terms and all the ways that this can be practiced and, uh, and lived out. It, it was a little bit, it was a little bit much, um, for us at a lot of points. Um, but it was useful. I right. I see. Yeah. Maybe it was written on a grassy hill somewhere in like, you know, 19. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, I had, uh, I, ha- I have to ask you, um, when you meet people um, that you are interested in, how does that look like? Obviously, you have to tell them, by the way, you know, I'm in a relationship. It's a, not a tr- conventional relationship. Um, you, you would have to, you'd have to be able to express that to them and explain that to them. And, and how do they react? And have you had any experiences where, you know, they've, they've kind of fallen in love with you maybe, or they've wanted to be with you afterward and you, you just have to kind of move on? Yeah. Again, I think this is where my experience of like having dated plenty of people in my life and and having lived in communities and like, I just have a lot of relationships to draw reference from. And I think that serves me well because I don't get swept up easy um, and I can connect with people deeply and I don't mistake it for love that needs to be committed to, if that makes sense, you know? Um, and so I, I really understand at this time that love is not a finite resource. I can love people and they will always hold that love for themselves in that lane, you know, and then where my husband lives in my mind and in my world and in my heart is his own, you know? And so, um, when I've connected with people, uh, I find that, um, because I'm not afraid to go deep with people, you know, I can go deep with people and it's unnecessary to like put that out in the forefront to be presumptuous about people's agendas and, you know, to kind of let things just evolve organically. And it will usually come up if, if it's becoming flirtatious or sexy, you know, or even at times when I would go out to a club to go dancing, you know, in the very beginning, that was a big part of this. I just wanted to feel sexy. And so even though I wasn't sleeping with people, I wanted to go out and dance with people in a way that was sexier than I would have when we had the monogamous, you know, sort of rules on us, you know? Um, and that really was a lot of fun at that time. And so, but people would see my wedding ring and ask me, oh, you're married, you know? And I said, you know, yeah, I am. And, and uh, they'd be like, oh, you know, does he know you're here? Is this okay with him? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, it's totally okay with him. And they're like, oh, okay. And then it just kind of sparks curiosity. And <laughs> I would let people's questions sort of unravel, you know, what else they wanted to know, but knowing, you know, for, I guess for myself, if there was somebody that I felt a desire to pursue things with further, you know, then I might volunteer the information that, um, you know, my husband and I have an open marriage um, and kind of ask them about their, you know, their situation, how they feel about, you know, non-monogamy and the fact that I'm married and, um, and that I'm very happy with my husband and have no intentions of leaving him. The first person that I connected with um, was also a sort of gypsy. He was a, a traveler. And I knew in the beginning, my husband asked me, you know, who do you see connecting with? Who do you feel drawn to in this? You know, are you looking for, you know, he wanted to understand like what this might be. And, and we both did. And so I knew early on that there were two types of people I was likely to meet. Um, one was just the sexy, fun, you know, handsome, whatever, suitor, you know, whatever the, the person um, that uh, that just kind of caught my eye or, or whatever. But the second person was more of like the twin flame kind of type um, that I know from experience can get really, really intense really quickly and can feel very soul deep and consuming. Um, and that those people tend to become lifelong friends, you know, and, and people that I want to know for the long haul. Right. And my husband didn't get that. And he would, he would ask me, you know, over and over again, over the course of months, you know, like, so tell me again about this twin flame thing. It's just not how he lives his life. He just doesn't, see the world that way. He doesn't have friendships that, that feel that way to him, you know? And I mean, I've met people I've not been sexual with, um, you know, uh, 
and, and I, I am kind of hetero flexible. I've been with women. I don't call myself fully bisexual, but um, I've certainly had some fun with some, some women in my life. And, um, but I have girlfriends that I would see as twin flames, that it's a completely non-sexual uh, relationship between us. But when there's a man that I feel that twin flame energy with, it can, it can feel sexual really quickly for me because it's just this sort of abundance of chemistry and connection and intellectual stimulation and energy. And it, it just, I don't know, for me, it can just translate into, into wanting to experience people fully. And so um, that was the sticky point for us was like this whole twin flame character and like who that looked like. And I knew it would be rare and possibly impossible to even like meet, you know, that person in the course of like, whatever, you know, our, our open relationship. I didn't know if I'd meet a twin flame, but I knew it was possible. And I wanted him to know that in that case, it would go beyond a sexual experience, you know, and that there would at that point be emotions involved. And again, this was early on before polyamory was a term we were comfortable with, right? Um, it felt scary to us in the beginning, this idea of emotional connection. So mm. the first guy that I connected with, um, of course, like the universe would do this, right? Uh, I, I'm not, again, a particularly religious or spiritual person, but um, also I'm very open to all the possibilities. And uh, there are certainly things that happen sometimes where I just kind of chuckle at the, at the universe. So I'm like, okay, uh, this is just beyond coincidence. And um, I met a man who was like total twin flame kind of like character and he was riding a motorcycle around the country and I'm a motorcyclist and he's this like traveler with this like beautiful mind. He was a writer and, um, man, it was just, it was literally the night that my husband and I sort of officially shook hands on opening our marriage. I decided to go out and just kind of explore on my bike. And I'd like met this person and I'm like, of course I did. Of course I did, because this is how life works. This is always how my life has worked. And we spent a summer together uh, and it was really beautiful, but he was really young and really, um, yes, he like, he definitely connected with me deeply emotionally. And he started to drop little comments about wishing I would run away with him and wishing I would, you know, just get on my motorcycle or get on his motorcycle at that time um, and just travel with him and this and that. And I would just laugh it off. I mean, as sweet and poetic as it was, I knew that he was a young butterfly and that he had a whole journey ahead of him and so many love stories to discover. And um, yeah, it was just, it was able to just kind of be what it was for me. And, uh, and we're still friends now, but not involved sexually. Um, so, I see. Yeah. Wow. So, right. So, you, so we're saying, okay, we're, I just want to make the distinction here. So there's, there's people you'll meet where you have a sexual um, connection and that's basically it. And that's fine. And then you have, the other type, which are the twin flame, as you put it, people who have more than a sexual connection. And you, that was a, a sticky point for you and your uh, husband to get through because obviously he was concerned of building uh, a very deep connection with someone else. Um, how did he handle the fact that you were going to spend time with someone uh, for like, you know, a summer can be quite long, I guess. Um, do, do you, do you like, do you, do you just go away and, and uh, kind of do your thing and he trusts you completely or do you stay in touch and does he want to kind of be updated about things? Cause I imagine, I imagine based on what you've said so far, it wasn't, that wasn't the case. No, um, it wasn't. So this was, this was when we first opened things up. We'd been together for like seven, 
or eight years at this point, right? And so it was really awkward. And I felt really afraid of losing him and this being a one-sided thing for right now. Even though I, I gave him permission, I even offered for our first experience to be us bringing a woman into the bedroom. I thought that any man would jump on that opportunity. And my husband felt uncomfortable with that. He said that he wanted it to feel more equal and he would prefer it be a couple, which I was like gawking at. I couldn't believe that was his response, but um, you know, that's who he is. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like in the beginning I was very clumsy. I, I was lying about where I was going because he wasn't asking and I didn't want to force it on him. And so I would go and spend time with this man, uh, and tell my husband that I was with a girlfriend, you know? And so there was nothing to question and nothing to feel weird about because he thought I was just with a girlfriend until, one day, because one of our rules is that we always answer the phone. We're not the types that, that you know, um, put each other under surveillance. Um, and so if, if one of us is calling each other, it's important and it's for a reason, right? And so there was a night that we were out on his motorcycle and I was on the back and I didn't hear my phone ringing. And so I didn't answer his call until, you know, almost 45 minutes later. And he's like, my gosh, are you okay? You know, he was concerned about me genuinely. And, uh, and so I told him I was, and I said, you know, I was on the back of a motorcycle and I was honest, but then he was like, on the back of a motorcycle, wait, what? You know, this is the very first time. And so it was, oh my God, I just remember being so nervous talking about it, but I was totally honest with him. But then he started to unravel the fact that this entire summer was spent with me connecting with this person and saying that I'm with girlfriends when I'm not. And that's when he sort of, you know, helped put me on the right path to handling that more gracefully um, and how I can tell him without telling him, if that makes sense, like how I can be honest mm. without telling him unsolicited details. Right. Um, yes. And, uh, and so that was, that was helpful, but that's how it was in the beginning. I think it's different for everyone probably, you know, I mean, it's, there's like, there's probably no one way of doing it. We're all so very different. We have different needs, different fears, different wants, different character traits, different experiences, histories. Um, we're sensitive where we're not so much. Uh, there's, there's just an unlimited combination of ways that you could handle this situation. And I think, but ultimately, what I've learned from this conversation is I think there's a lot of value in being completely honest with your partner. Um, if you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want to spend it being yourself Definitely. and you don't want to like what happens many times, I think more than I think should is we try to squeeze ourselves into this box of what it means traditionally and culturally to be a partner in a committed relationship. Um, and I think if you can be honest and if you can be with someone and if you also can have that emotional intelligence, which essentially it's emotional intelligence, right? So. It's like, Oh yeah. It's like, well, yes, uh, it, it's, I do have jealousy. I am a jealous person at times and I don't enjoy the idea of that happening to someone that I would say is mine, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we need to review what it means to be in a committed relationship because what is it, like 
of relationships, marriages or divorces? I don't know now. I think it's higher yeah, than that maybe. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, there must be something here, right? There's got to be something that we're missing. Well, because when you, for, for me, what I found is that, and he has stepped into exercising it on his end at this point. So it didn't remain one-sided. And over time, what we realized is that, you know, this ideal I had in my mind that I'd be able to just be very sexual with people, even though in my past, I enjoyed promiscuity a lot, to be honest. But at this age and having a child and just stepping into a very different chapter of my life, I, I actually didn't feel safe um, personally just sleeping around with men that I found attractive. And so it very quickly became a scenario where there were real feelings involved and these were actual relationships and friendships with people that felt safe because I needed to know them before I felt safe sharing myself with them in any capacity. And so we just realized that even though we were afraid of the title, by all definitions, it really was polyamory that we were practicing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did that feel for you when he uh, decided to also take part? Well, um, it felt, it, it sort of lived in my imagination before we started talking about it. Um, and I would imagine him doing things. And it was exciting, to be honest, because again, this very passive energy that he had given me for so many years to imagine him feeling sexy. And to imagine another woman appreciating him and seeing how amazing he is, um, it did kind of just give me a little spark of life that had dulled, you know. Um, I, I knew for myself that there are times in my, in my monthly cycle that I am more open-minded and less open-minded, right? And so there are times uh -huh. when I feel very sexual and excited and other times where I'm very sensitive and I just sort of want to feel the sanctuary of my home and my family, right? And so I, it was very important to me that he not share anything with me unless I asked, um, because there's just some, sometimes I, I'm not going to want to hear uh, the story and I'm too, I'm going to be too jealous, even though um, some might call that hypocritical because of, you know, what I'm experiencing on my end. But um, so when I first um, found out or like asked him a question, he sort of admitted that there was like this connection he had made at work. Um, you know, I definitely had that little twinge of just like excessive curiosity. My husband is like, he's just much steadier than I am uh, with like, he's so emotionally intelligent. He's so, he's just so like thoughtful. And so for him, you know, that's why it took him a year to even kind of process the proposition that I had laid out, you know, and then an entire year later, you know, he's kind of got his game plan and he stands by it. I'm much more reactionary. I'm much more impulsive and together we kind of find a balance, but um, so yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of like nagging curiosity to know everything, you know, and I couldn't because it just was unreasonable. And so I had to sort of check myself and allow him to have his experience. But um, what's wild is that the the experience that that got the deepest and the most involved was actually with my my current boyfriend's wife. And she's a dear friend of mine. And so... <laughs> And I like borderline played matchmaker because it just felt like such a good match to me. And she's someone that I felt deserved him because I know her and I trust her and she's beautiful and she's a, a healthy person and she makes good choices. And, and so I felt really safe giving that 
not even giving that permission, but like making that connection, like encouraging that connection. Um, and they had their own, like they, they liked each other. Like it was there, you know? Um, but I think he needed to feel really safe with my feelings around it to like go full, full steam, you know, ahead. And it was the first time that I had experienced compersion, um, which is like a polyamory term. Um, compersion is experiencing the joy of others um, through the joy that they're experiencing, right? And so um, because I knew her, it put me close enough to their experience. Like when I would get details from him about a physical interaction they would have, I would be able to live vicariously in a way that gave me excitement and that made me feel pleasure and like joy and like excitement for them and for myself uh, to be so close to them. And so that kind of blew my world wide open, to be honest, uh, like genuinely experiencing that feeling of compersion. Um, mm. Yeah. So, but I know I wouldn't feel that as much with a woman I don't know, because then I get, I, I do feel more insecurity. You know, he's still allowed to do that. Um, and, you know, that I don't, I don't even know what he's up to fully because we just don't really keep each other under that tight of watch. Um, and so it's, it's quite possible that he has other connections that he enjoys. Um, and I don't, I don't really even want to know about them, to be honest, because I trust him. I trust him to make good choices and to keep me safe and to keep our family safe. Um, and I, I don't really feel that I have access to that compersion in the same way because of who I am, um, as if I know the woman. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Understandable. This compersion that you talk of, first time I've heard that word, by the way, I think. Um, but I relate to that too. I do. It's um, it's a conflicting feeling somehow because you, I mean, I've imagined it. Uh, it's never happened to me. But I think when I was going through that phase and I was like, you know, maybe you should, you know, try. Um, what's What have you got to lose? Uh but but so so I would kind of like be in the mindset of like what would it be like how would it feel and I and I genuinely wanted to know I genuinely mm -hmm. wanted to experience that because I wanted to open my heart to the to the feeling that I was having which was I can love like unlimited amount right uh, absolutely it's a it's I mean you know when you speak about it. And uh, maybe people don't understand what you're really trying to say. It can sound very airy fairy, right? It's like, <laughs> kind of like a hippie kind of thing, but <laughs> right, and, you know what? And I mean. it is maybe a little bit of that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, it. Well, yes, it's a very spiritual thing. I think it's a very kind of well. It's just a very deep feeling, isn't it? Of kind of like joy when you know that someone else is experiencing pleasure it's not sexual necessarily it's just pleasure love is what the word is i think and um when you try to box that love in it doesn't feel as good i, I i'm not qualified enough to talk about this as you can tell so i'm struggling to find my words but i think emotional intelligence at the end of the day is something we all need to work on it doesn't mean that I think, and I, I don't, I'm not looking for a polyamorous relationship. I just do genuinely feel that there is something there. Um, I think there's something there for the right kind of couple. 
I don't think it works for everyone and I don't think it's supposed to work for everyone. But I think if it can work, I think it's great. I think it's a very mature and uh, deep connection that you can have with someone if you can have that kind of relationship. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, it, it has brought us full circle back to each other. And that has been one of the most beautiful and sort of unexpected things. Because I think we both knew we were gambling with this. We knew that this could break us up. You know, we knew that we could meet other people that maybe grabbed our attention in a way that that trumped, you know, what we had. Um, but I had a feeling that it wouldn't because I thought I thought that I knew what I had in him. And I I felt pretty in touch with that. But it's a risk, you know, and it's a risk for sure, giving him permission. Like it really scared me. Um, but there is sort of, um, I don't know, maybe an ego boost or like there, there's something to it that is actually strengthening when you don't feel locked in or confined by someone, but yet feel they're the best and continue to choose them. Right. I know it's maybe a little ridiculous, but, um, it is just, uh, it is like, it's reaffirming to know like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm connected with these people and you are still like, you are still right. my choice. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, no, that, that's a great way to summarize it. It's like, you can give yourself away, but you're going to come back. It's like, it's that metaphor of letting the bird go and it flies <laughs> Completely. back. Completely. It makes it more special somehow, you know, that like, you're, you're not confined to this. You don't even have to come back to me, but you do. And it makes me so grateful. And it makes me like love what we have so much more um, because it feels so authentic, you know? Um, and we are sexual again. Like it, it, it brought us back to each other sexually, which is right, so wild. I was going to ask Our you. First... Yeah. I was going to, oh I, I, was, I was expecting you to say that actually. Oh my God. The first like great sexual encounter that we had was, it was actually after he had had his first um, hookup with my my girl, this friend of mine, whose husband I date uh, and have been seeing now for 15 months. Um, and again, I mean, she's like a dear, dear friend. Like we take our kids out together. We, you know, traveled together. We, she's like a sister in some ways, you know, and she's amazing. Um, her kids are my kids' best friends. Um. And, uh, and so they had had this experience and like on the same night, like he was with her and I was with her husband. Um, he and I went and got a room and my husband and her were in, um, their home. And so we went and took a walk the next day in a nature preserve and, you know, holding hands was our first time both having an experience at the same time. Right. And so we were kind of giddy and just like, all right, you start, you start. I mean, we've been together 12 years at this point. Right. And this is a first. And so he started and he's, he's like, well, what do you, you know, what do you want to know? I'm like everything, like literally everything, like <laughs> do not spare me any details. And it was coming from a place of just genuine compersion, which excited him. Right. So he starts sharing all the details with me. I mean, everything like picking her up, you know, carrying her into the bathroom and setting her on the countertop and, you know, this crazy, sexy, super passionate experience with her. And I was like, oh my God, I was so jealous, but so turned on. And so like all the feelings, right. And he's like, all right, well now what about you? And I was like, oh my God. And so I tell him my experience and we're like, wow. And it was, it was bizarre. You know, it was like otherworldly, just a strange emotion between us but that night it was sort of this like reclaiming of territory with each other and it was the best sex we had had in a decade genuinely and then that kicked off this whole like super fun sexy reconnection that we had it really helped us 
<laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, that that's really amazing, and I can imagine that too. I mean, exactly. It's like you 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 feel so open and loving and nurturing and caring, and uh, there's there is something sexy about that for sure. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> That's, that's impressive. That's that's just an amazing, it's been an amazing conversation. It's really opened my mind to a different perspective. I mean, I, I obviously it's not the first time I've learned about this, but um, to hear it discussed by someone who's actually doing it in a marriage of that length is eye-opening, I would say. It's, uh, and it's very challenging because it challenges the way you look at these structures and your life and your needs and um, I suppose your abilities as a couple. What are you actually capable of? Do you really talk about things? Do you really communicate? Um, all of those are, uh, I suppose, ideas that, you know, this conversation is kind of uh, uh, stirred up in me. So thank you so much yeah, for sharing you. what you did with me. You didn't have sure. to, but you did. And I really appreciate it. My pleasure. People listen to this. They're going to, um, they're going to, I think they're going to at least have a paradigm shift. Um, and it will, it will open up food for thought for a lot of couples around the world, hopefully. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much. I really, again, I really appreciate your time. Uh, and it's an amazing relationship you have and it's an amazing husband you have as well yeah he really is thank you though for the conversation I'm excited to listen in on your other episodes yeah thank you thank you thank you